two boys, one seven going on eight, and the other uh, five going on six this month. And so we haven't seen them for 10 days. And um, I was hearing Eddie talk about sacrifice, and one of the sacrifices that came to mind about this time is uh, my son had a dad and lad camp last week Friday that I couldn't attend. And so before we left, he said to me, Dad, are you going to be back from South Africa for us to be able to do this? And I said to him, I'm not. And he was distraught. So what he did is he went to one of his classmates, because it's a class camp, and he asked one of the boys to ask his dad if he could take it. And so the dad messaged me, and he says, is it all right? So he had fun, but it was quite a, a tough thing to let go of um, and think about while, while, while we're here. But, you know, it, it's such a privilege to have boys because my, for those who have boys, you know that they can be quite boisterous. And, um, and my wife is always constantly tired. For, so for her, these 10 days have been a break, for starters. But um, my boys, last term, uh, one of my boys, uh, the firstborn, Benjamin, got into the reserve of the first team rugby. So I'm really stoked for that as a dad because I never played rugby, and I don't know what a scrum half is. But uh, we send our best rugby guys here, so I'm trusting that one of these days he'll play for the, for the Sharks, not the Lions, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Kauteng. <laughs> I just want to honor, just before I start, just a, a few guys. You know, we've, we've, we've been in Zimbabwe all our lives, and we've had the privilege of having so many people come and speak into the life of our church for over many years. And I really want to honor people like Bruce and Myra, um, Chris and Suzanne, Z, uh, Zili. Uh, I know Brad, Brad and Carissa are, are working a lot into Zim. Uh, Kenny LaRue, Manny, the late Manny, and Dawn Pereira. We've sat over the last couple of years under their teaching and ministry, and we have been so blessed in our lives. And I really want to honor them because um, a lot of what God's been doing in my life and has done has been so instrumental because of that. For example, my son's called Benjamin, and Bruce might not remember this, but Bruce came um, to Matari. We were in eldership in Matari, and he gave us a prophetic word from Isaiah 41, verse 10, where he says, you, 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 you are not a worm, and God is going to hold you by your righteous right hand. And we named our son Benjamin because of that, to be reminded that we are the son of his right hand. And so there is so much that people do and they don't realize the impact that God's doing in people's lives. So, so, so grateful, so grateful to the ministry, so grateful to our togetherness because God is doing an incredible work in and through us and in people's lives individually. So amen to that. So it's been a great conference. And um, before I came to Johannesburg, I was on a diet because we always eat here. You guys eat too much. And so, and so for two weeks, I, I had to starve myself almost literally because I knew I was going to gain a few pounds. And um, I'm heading north of 40, so it's actually a very good thing to kind of uh, not eat too much. But uh, hey, anything for Jesus, right? <laughs> so it's been great to start. Steve started us off incredibly on the first night. And I was so stirred because of the things that he spoke about, the purpose that God's placed in our lives, the gifting that God's placed in our lives, and the identity that we have. 
and that sweet spot in the middle where we function in what God has called us to be has allowed a lot of people to be able to have much effect on, on the gospel and in the nations. And I really was stoked when he spoke about that. And, and we had Paul, so I'm also a recovering accountant. So I had Paul and, and I had Eddie, you know, we're Ernest and Young, so, so I know what it's like to be a recovering accountant. And, and, and Paul spoke so powerfully about the unity, the power of unity, and how all of us, when we are, we are united, we can achieve so much. And God commands blessing in life where there's unity. And I'm, I'm hashtagging these things because they're so pertinent and to what I'm going to speak about this morning. And, and Rob, I mean, yesterday, if you didn't hear Rob, I don't know what you were thinking. I'm sure most of us went onto the Forbes list. I said that. Obviously, it's Jesus' list, but most of us signed up for the Forbes list because literally we will need some people who are on the Forbes list to actually take this gospel if you're looking at a 10-year investment. And it was great to be reminded of the unreached people groups, not just the lost. And, uh, and, as, and, and, and I was sitting there, and, and, I, and my wife starts going to the front, and I stand in the back because I'm like, jeez, I don't want to go to Mongolia. I can barely do two languages. I'm not going to do a third. And, and I was just like, Lord, help us. Help us. I spoke to my wife after, and I was like, what was going on? She said, yeah, we need to pray. We need to go to unreached people because their people need Jesus. I'm like, I'm the guy's going to be preaching tomorrow. And I'm, I'm like, geez, Lord, what am I going to do? And so that, that was such a pertinent reminder in our togetherness of what God is entrusting us to do and what he wants us to do. And, um, and Leo, yesterday, so rightfully set up, the, as he called it, the biblical blueprint of how churches need to go and be developed and built. And I really loved this story about the lady who was not even part of the movement, who prophesied exactly what the scripture and things that we need to be doing in our churches to build strong churches, to bring that unity, to allow us to go to unreached people groups, to allow us to have the power of unity and to get us excited about the giftings and the identity and the purpose that God has given us. Amen. And so, and so I've loved what God's been doing in our togetherness in this time. And so just a precursor, most of us can tell that something's going wrong in this world. The world has gone crazy. I don't know about you, but I, I remember hearing the rumors of war of potentially Russia going into invade Ukraine. I said, there's not a chance. Not in the 21st century. There's not a chance another nation is going to try and get into another nation and take it over. And here we are. There's a war going on in Europe. There's floods or rumors of floods. Global warming is changing. And we're hearing so many extreme temperatures that have never been experienced in some areas for Hundreds of years, some 50 years happening in this time. And I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't tend to protest as an end-time preacher. I'm not. But you can't but not think about we are potentially in the end time. Potentially we are. I know some people will say we definitely are. And when I sit there and I'm like, these, these feel like the birth pains of what God is doing and and, and drawing closer to the end. 
And so we're going to pick up. Yesterday, um, we, we, uh, we, uh, we touched on Matthew 25, and I'm going to take us back to Matthew 24. And we all know the scripture, and I'll give you a bit of context. And so Jesus has done his ministry, and he was moving across everywhere and performing miracles and doing all sorts of things. And he gets into the temple in chapter 23, and he's arguing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Bible says at the beginning of chapter 24, Jesus left the temple. And if you highlight the word left, it was he was not coming back. He left the temple. He told the guys what they needed to know. And as he came out, the disciples walked next to Jesus, and they're talking to him. And they're saying to him, oh, look at the temple. Look at the buildings. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, not one stone will be left on another on this temple. And the disciples, I would assume, are shocked. Like, look at this amazing temple. And then they say, okay, so tell us, Lord, what, what are the signs of when you come back? What are the things that we need to look out for when, it, when you come back? And so he starts off in chapter 24 explaining the signs and the things to happen before he comes to back to us. And so we catch the chapter in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to read. It says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And that, that's our main text this morning. About 11 years ago, I met my wife, and uh, we, we had started working. Uh, she had been working at this company, Ernest & Young, like I said earlier, recovering accountant. And so I've been working with her for six months, and so we, uh, we meet, uh, I've seen her many times, and so we, we get to the reception the one day, and she's standing there, she's not my wife, we're not even courting or anything, and, and, and she looks at me, because we've gone to the same university as well, she looks at me, she's like, yeah, no, I remember, you're quite familiar, what's your name again, and I gave her the name, and, and, and I said, okay, yeah, so she says, yeah, where, where are you working? I said, I've been working here for six months. And I think you think you're all that in a bag of chips and dip. Someone I said this week, and dip, which she was, to be honest. But uh, I said, are you crazy? You don't know I've been working here for six months. Anyway, long story short, um, we, we, she came to our church, and, and I started, and, and then God dropped something to say, this is the wife. This is the lady you're going to marry. And so I remember prepping and, and, and thinking about our date, the first time I was going to ask her where I was going to get, how many roses I was going to get, all the works that a young man, or younger man, because I'm still young, um, <laughs> does to get a girl, or at least ask her for courtship. And she said yes, and, and, and our first two years we traveled we did all sorts of incredible things. We had date nights every week. And then two little boys come into the picture. And how many of you know that when the kids come into the picture, a lot of things just go dead? <laughs> and five years in, if you had asked us, what are you doing for date night? I would have gone, what is date night? 
because we had no time. And scientifically, they've proven that marriages that go on for long without any commitment to their relationship, their satisfaction is negative. That's what they've proven scientifically. Satisfaction is negative. It's not even zero. It's negative. And worse still, those marriages that are battered by the storms of life and they are going through so much and there's no attention to say, how can we get back together? What are the things that we need to be looking at? We're on the same team. Love on the rocks. And sometimes, I hasten to say this, this can play out in our relationship with God. This can play out slowly in our relationship with God. Verse 12 of Matthew 24 says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of most will grow cold. And I was trying to figure out, Lord, how, how does... How does one's love grow cold? How does increase in wickedness affect our love growing cold? I don't know about you, but last year, as I was sitting in Harare, watching the news and watching KZN burning and people looting and all sorts of things, I don't know about you, but as a Zimbabwean sitting in Zim, I looked at that picture and I was, I was filled with fear. I was like, what is going on with South Africa? What is going on with people? What really went through our minds when we hear news articles of rape statistics going up? We know the story recently of people who were raped. Crazy. What happens when you hear CR has some money stashed in Palapala? When you hear news like that? When crime continues to grow, seemingly, unabated, it seems. You can't get a group. When load shedding hits stage four. Stage six, even worse. What happens when your loved ones are sick and they can't get medication? When you don't have water in Douglasdale, I've experienced that this week. What goes on through our hearts? What do you expect an all-loving God, an all-powerful God to be doing? in such a situation. And what, happened when, what happens when he doesn't? Jesus is saying to us, there's going to be an increase in wickedness. But while that is going on, something else unseen will be going on in the life of a believer. The love of most. It's growing cold. The love of most, and that means statistically, if we look at this room right now, most of us 
our hearts are going so cold. I don't know about you, but for me, when God doesn't do what I expect him to do, when I expect him to do it, it's one step closer to unbelief. One short step to unbelief. And I'm not saying that I don't believe in God, but I'm saying I don't believe he cares for me. I don't believe he's working on my behalf because I begin to lose faith in his love. I begin to lose faith in his promises. I know God cares for us globally, but personally, I'm not seeing that in my own life. And when I stop believing, I stop praying, and my love grows cold. From my own personal experience, two years ago, I lost my mom. She was 61, and it wasn't COVID. And I was with her in the hospital for two weeks, and she, she had pneumonia, and people thought it was COVID. And so the doctor, all she needed was meds. And it was so far in, because she was told self-isolate and all these things, it was so far in that what we needed, at least what we were thinking, my brothers and I, I've got two other brothers, with the only three, was we need to get her a ventilator so that the drugs can kick in. And in this hospital, there was not a single ventilator. And so I watched my mom die. Who was supposed to buy the ventilator? Who stole the money What was supposed to go for the ventilator? The increase in wickedness. The increase in wickedness. In Zimbabwe, we're not new to power cuts. We're not new to crazy governments. And in 2008 or 2007, uh, we were leading up to what was one of the most pivotal elections ever in our country. And the churches were full. We were praying. We were prophesying. We were, we were so gung-ho on what God was doing. And the elections came, and the results took one and a half months to release. And then there was a runoff, and all of us, most of us know what happened after that. And soon after that, the church's faith just tanked like this. Prayer meetings of hundreds to thousands became prayer meetings of twos and tens. People were disillusioned because we had expected God to be doing something, and when he didn't, our faith just went down. And so for a few years, we just led meetings. The church seemingly was ineffective until in the last eight years or so. We were just, we were just shattered. God, we had all these prophetic words, all these things. Oh, why didn't you? We were expecting you to do things like this. And we didn't get that. What happens when God dramatically doesn't do what we expect him to do. Thankfully, the Zim Church is alive and well, and we're going for it, and we've learned, hopefully we've learned a lot 
from our past, that we don't put our faith in a political party or whatever it is, but we trust that we have the King of Kings sitting at the th- on his throne, and he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And I can promise you right now, there's probably someone right now in this room who's saying, Frank, my heart's gone cold. I'm done. I need to move out. There's, I'm seeing my kids as they grow up in this nation. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Some might be thinking, I'm going, I'm going, I'm trying to do things, and maybe you ran out of gas 10Ks ago. And it's a reality. The increase of wickedness. The increase of wickedness. And this is the danger that we're in as a church globally and as a church in South Africa. The danger is our hearts could grow cold. Our hearts could grow cold. What starts to happen when our hearts start growing cold? We begin to get consumed by the cares and the things of this world. We've been there. Sometimes, to some extent, we're still there. We were thinking, how are the kids going to do? How are we going to get medication? How are we going to organize our lives? Schooling, what are we going to do? If this thing goes bang. We begin to chase after the things the Gentiles chase after. We really do. We really begin to chase after the things that the Gentiles are chasing after. We begin to shift our worship from worshiping the true God to worshiping created things. Money. British passport. I don't know, whatever it is. I wish I had a foreign passport to make it easier to travel. We shift from finding our identity in Him and finding our identity in other things. Our work. What we're doing today. What's happening in my career. Then there's a fear that starts to drive the things that we do and make the decisions that we need to be making in another light. We start to fix our gaze onto only the wickedness that is happening around us. Our times that should be filled with prayer are filled with discussions about what is going on with ESCOM. We've been on stage 100 in Zimbabwe. We've just moved now to maybe stage 50 of Parkats. It's been about 15 years. And we've now been able to make a plan. So when we come here and we get a Parkat, we're shocked. Because we've got solar or some alternative power method and we just carry on. Times we should be giving and sowing, we begin to hoard and keep for ourselves. And I'm not saying there's no wisdom in when we look at a situation and we say, okay, this is likely what's going to happen. Let's try and do this. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that is all we think about and we're not thinking about unreached people groups or what God's doing in the nations and what God's calling us to do, then we have misplaced faith. 
Here's a question for us to consider. What would you do in your life if you had no fear? If you had no fear, what would you do with your life? If fear wasn't a issue. <laughs> yeah, get into the tuck like Rob with no, with no brakes. I like Shrek, we're like ogres, we have got layers and layers. And God's trying to peel off stuff. You know, we're not perfect. But God's working in us, and if we allow him to work in us, he'll be peeling off stuff. I love Eli Stanley Jones. He has this quote. He's a great missionary. He once said, fear is the sand in the machinery of life. Fear is like the sand in the machinery of life. If you take a machine and it's cranking and there's sand in there, there's grit, nothing moves nicely. When we have fear, things just, just don't tell. They just don't work out because we've got this fear. We've got so many things in our hearts and head and we're like, Lord, I don't know, I don't know what we're gonna do. The rand rate is one is to 18. I really wish it was one is to one to the US dollar. I've been reading a blog, um, part of the blog by Ian Weed, and some of you might know him. He, he's up in now spread, I think. And he, he's been writing a blog last month about, uh, his title of this blog is Learning to Live in a Failed Economy. I don't know if any of you have been reading it. Um, I didn't ask him to quote this, but this is in the public domain, so I'm sure he doesn't mind. But he says this, he says, avoid fear and panic. You do foolish things at those times. It is often a good idea to not make any immediate decisions, if possible, following a trauma or acute hardship. And so he, he's encouraging us what not to do when we're facing acute hardship or trauma. It is traumatic to wake up one morning and there's no water in your tap. From what I hear right now, there's some we haven't had water for four days. You're like, we never used to have this back in the 80s. Heart's growing cold. So how do we resolve this? How do we, how do we, how do we come to a place where in the midst of seeing all the wickedness that's going on, how do we get to a place where our hearts don't go cold? I love a story that we, most of us would know this because when God doesn't do what we expect him to do, there's disillusionment, isn't it? You're kind of like, what's going on, God? I, I'm, I'm like lost now. I don't know what you're doing. We prayed, we had prophetic words, we, we're expecting you to do this, you didn't do it. I don't know. It's disillusionment. And we have a story in the Bible, thankfully, that talks about guys who are disillusioned. And it's in Luke chapter 24, and I'll give a precursor. Jesus was, um, had just died, and he had done all his ministry, and Jesus meets these disciples who are on the road to Mass, 
And they're walking along, and this is the third day. Jesus had just been raised from the dead, and these two guys are walking to Emmaus. And we catch the story from verse 19 on what was going on and the discussion what was going on. So I'm going to read. Sorry, from verse 17. So this is Jesus speaking. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? As though he didn't know. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting, to, uh, visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? I love Jesus. What things? <laughs> what things? About Jesus of Nazareth. And remember that they didn't know who he was because the Bible says they were prevented from knowing and seeing him. It says about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more is that the third day since this all took place, in addition, some of our women are amazed, amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. There's an exclamation mark there. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter, into, enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he, saw, when he was at the table, he broke bread, gave thanks, um, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? They had hoped and wanted Jesus to be the redeemer of Israel. And this is not non-Christians, by the way. It says his disciples, Cleopas and an unnamed guy. They probably started a ministry of on the road to the Emmaus Ministries or whatever after this experience. It says the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced and they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. They expected Jesus to do something and when he didn't, they were disillusioned. The Bible said when Jesus approached him, he says they stopped and they were, they were downcast. They were downcast. Distraught. We thought Jesus was going to do this, but he didn't. What happens when, 
We expect God to do what we expect him to do, and he dramatically doesn't. One other thing that we see from here is these guys are forgetting an important lesson in verse 19. Jesus says to them, what things, you know, after asking them, you know, telling him what's going on, and they say it was about Jesus of Nazareth. I want us to see this. They replied, he was a prophet. These are Jesus' disciples. They say to him, he was a prophet. I want to say to you, if I came to you and I said, my name is Dr. Frank, and I'm a plastic surgeon, and I'm in the business of transforming people who look not so pretty or not so great because of accidents or whatever it is into this incredible image. I'm going to ask my wife, put her on the spot. Do you want to come, babe? She's probably going, she's, no, please don't do this. She's, she's the introvert. I'm, I'm the extrovert, as you can tell. But I have to do this. So my name is Dr. Frank. I'm a plastic surgeon. And this bag of chips with dip, <laughs> I have made after she had an accident. You can go back. <laughs> and I had assistants who helped me in my surgery. And for three years, we've done so many plastic surgeries that the whole of Johannesburg is talking about this. They're talking about Dr. Frank, the great plastic surgeon who can transform your life into what was terrible into something beautiful. And one day, my coffin, and I'm dead and I'm, 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 I'm right here lying in state, God forbid, And my assistants come, and they're standing in front, and my coffin is right there, and one of them is asked to speak, and he walks up and says, thank you everyone for coming to this funeral. It was sad to see Frank lying here. He was an incredible nurse. Same correct medical field, and there's nothing wrong with nursing, by the way, but different description. They do kind of similar things, and they, a, a doctor could have the same characteristics as a nurse, but he's not a nurse. And this is what happened with the disciples. They'd forgotten who Jesus was. And Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 18 says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. The disciples had forgotten who Jesus was. They had placed this image of, 
oh, we thought he was a, he could prophesy that he was going to have this and all this. And, and, and they'd forgotten what had been revealed to Simon Peter of who he is. And so, church, I want to say to us this morning, who do we say Jesus is? The Americans didn't understand what it's like living in Africa with policies until Mr. T came to the scene. And then you're kind of like, oh, sure, this can be quite interesting. But who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Can I say to us, who's really sitting on the throne of your heart? Who's really sitting at the throne of your heart? You know, when Jesus came and the disciples were downcast, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, sorry. You know, Jesus would come and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I know I, know I was supposed to sort the Romans out. Don't worry, that's coming in the future. For right now, this is what's happening in my life. He didn't come and say that. Let me sort out what's going on with the politics. Don't worry, I know what's going on and I'll sort it out. He didn't come and say that. Oh, sorry, guys, I know you're feeling bad and downcast and you've been walked into a mess and you just, I don't even know why they were going to mess because after that, they actually walked back. <laughs> after Jesus was beamed up, they walked back. And they asked each other, verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And so how do we stop our hearts and our love growing cold? We need a revelation of Jesus constantly. We need a revelation of who he is in the midst of what we're going through as a nation. We need to know who he is. And like the disciples, we can say, sheesh, today, didn't our hearts burn? When he spoke to us and he opened the scriptures, when Jesus met us as we opened the scriptures together, didn't our hearts burn? And we can stand firm to the end. And maybe some of you might be saying, God, Frank, so what are you saying? Are you saying we should just stop? Should we not go to elections? Should we not do business? Should we not do anything? Should we just look to Jesus? I'm not saying we shouldn't do anything. In fact, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs throughout Southern Africa, and I'm encouraging them to go to their call, their, their, their God-given call to create and do things and change the tapestry of a world. But it's the position in which we are doing that from a revelation of Jesus, not out of fear. We do stuff from a revelation of who Jesus is. How do we get our hearts burning again? First and foremost, we need to repent for not having Jesus at the center. That's something I do often. I say, Jesus, I need you again. With the increase of wickedness in this world, 
and the potholes I see coming up in Santon, wherever else shouldn't have potholes. We get whiplash all the time in Zimbabwe. I was telling some guys earlier. We need to get a revelation from Scripture of who Jesus is and what He is about. We need to engage with the Father and pray and listen to Him. And we need to stand firm on His Word. The solid rock, Jesus, the Logos, that became flesh. I don't know, Derek, but I just feel maybe we might need to get the band up. I don't know what you think. And just maybe have a response. I don't know if the band's close. But I'm really trusting, just like you, this message is for me as well. Because I continually wrestle with wickedness constantly. And I'm sure all of us do. We see things that shouldn't be happening. We see money disappearing from bank accounts that shouldn't be disappearing. And maybe, to a great extent, we want to move to Perth. And believe it or not, some are called to move to Perth. And some are called to Mongolia. But how do we get this king, this incredible king Jesus, to be Lord and a, a continual refreshing of his kingship and his love and his throne and his lordship over our lives? And I sense this morning we're going we're gonna to just come to the Father. And the, and the answer is in him. I know the answer is always Jesus. You ask any question about that, no, Jesus. Yes, it is. But really it is. And we're going to trust God this morning to do an incredible work in our hearts, myself included. Because we don't want to grow cold. And for us to be able to affect the nations, for us to have the power of unity, for us to, to be able to do the incredible things that God, to understand our identity, our gifting, our, our, our purpose. All these things tie up from a revelation of who Jesus is. And as wickedness advances, we don't want that to affect the purposes and the plans that God's given us.